Fantastic. How's everybody doing? Good? A couple things on there, man. I can't wait for Saturday night, our women's gathering, first one of the year. Excited about this year, kind of the heart for this year. Come on, ladies. You excited about Saturday night? Free, 6.30 Saturday, and they did it at 6.30 so y'all could go party afterwards. So make sure uh, that you plan on being there Saturday night, um, 6.30, and I know Pastor Meredith has a word. She's working on it last night, and I'm super excited about it, and I'm going to figure out who I can pawn the kids off on so I can come listen to Meredith preach, um, but I'm really excited about it. That's such an easy night to invite friends. Um, I've never had or never heard anyone talk about our women's event in some kind of negative. It's like always, man, I didn't know you could do that at a women's event. I didn't know you could do that, church. I didn't know, and I love that. So make sure, ladies, uh, you're showing up and be there. And then our Q&A, this just got confirmed um, this past week with Nancy Houston. Nancy Houston is a sex therapist, uh, and she is someone who actually thinks sex is a good thing, and I think you should if you're a sex therapist. Uh, but she was the head of counseling for all of Gateway Church for many years, um, has just released a book called Love and Sex. And, uh, I would, and in fact, if you want to look it up, there's a podcast with her and Pastor Paul, who leads uh, Global Men's Ministry. And I'm telling you, you and I know what some of you fellows are thinking. I'm not going to come listen to a woman talk to me about sex. That's why you need to come. Um, I was going to say something else, but I felt like it was inappropriate. Um, you need to come listen. She has such an amazing way of talking about some of these topics, and not just sex, but love and sex, and talking about relationship. And, uh, and what I love about this is it's going to be a Q&A. So we are not going to like just tell you what we want to tell you. We're going to talk about things that you are asking, and whether it be about pornography, whether it be about uh, living together, whether it be about homosexuality, whether it be about whatever thing you want to ask, we're going to ask, and she's going to answer, and she's not going to uh, get worried about it or walk away from it. She's going to talk about it, and so I'm kind of setting that up a little bit today, but I'm really, really excited about that, and I hope you're planning on being there for that, um, and, and it's going to be really, really good. I'm, like, honestly, we actually extended the series so that we could have her come and share with us, uh, so make sure you're part of that. How many of you know we need to be talking about things that people are dealing with, and how many of you know sex is something that culture seems to be a little bit obsessed with? Just, just a little bit. And so we really want you to be a part of that. Hey, I want you to turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. I do have the immense privilege of talking about sex. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about other things and the fact Heathens. How y'all know that song? Y'all can't know that song. How dare you? I was testing you. I just learned that song last night. I've never heard it before. Never. I did lie. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I love it. I love it. Uh, you know, I really did. When we, when we talked about this series and wanting to have a conversation around love, we, we wanted to deal with things that uh, brought some tension. And we, we, in fact, one of our core values is to embrace the tension. We actually feel like the church should be a place where you can come in to a gathering like this and actually deal with some things that make you a little bit uncomfortable. Because I find the things that make us a little bit uncomfortable are the places we struggle the most. And so if we don't talk about the places that cause some tension in our own lives, we will never bust through or break through that place. And so I really want us to talk about it. 
And so I wanted to talk about sex, and next week we're going to talk about male and female. That's going to be fun. And, uh, and, so, and then the next week, Nancy Houston will correct everything I've said. <laughs> but I, I did want to talk about sex because I think there's a bit of misinformation about the topic. And, and I, I want to make sure that we're hearing it and talking about it the right way. And uh, in Genesis 1, verse 1, I just want to, now remember, Genesis 1 is the, uh, is the airplane view. It's the satellite Google Maps view of creation. Genesis 2 is the street level view of creation where you get a few specifics. Sometimes you go, well, this seems a bit redundant. Does he create them after or before or what? Genesis 1, it's very much a, a kind of a snapshot and it gives overview and then Genesis 2 gets into more specifics. And so in Genesis 1, we see a couple statements that bookend the chapter. And the very first verse simply says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, his, it's not just meaning heavens and earth. What he's really saying is he created all of it. God created all of it. Everything that was created, created by God. Created the heavens and the earth. And then in verse 31, skip all the way down to verse 31. It says this, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Everybody say very good. Very. It was very good. Evening came in the morning, and then the sixth day. Very good. How many of you guys have ever, and I, maybe I'm dating myself, although the other night we had a couple young guys in our house, and they were talking about how they had just started watching Friends for the first time. It's making a comeback, y'all. And I remember uh, there's one scene in this uh, show. By the way, I had a friend a couple years back go, do you, you remember watching Friends? I said, do I remember? I'm still watching it. What are you talking about? Like, you watch that thing all the, you know. And he goes, it was all about sex. And I go, no, it's not. It's just funny. Goes, no, it's like sex. Like, like they're all trying to figure out who they're hooking up with. And I was like, no. And then I watched it, and I was like, oh. Yeah, kind of was. I'm still going to watch it because it's funny. But And so he's talking about all this. And, and there's a scene in the, maybe my favorite scene of all however many seasons of Friends there was. And we tried to get it today. We couldn't get it on the screen for you because I thought it was that important, um, was the scene where Joey, anybody remember Joey? Doesn't know what air quotes are for. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So Ross is mad at Joey, and Ross is saying, you accidentally, or whatever he's saying, and Joey stops him and goes, just let me stop right there. I don't, when people do this, I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> and then later on, he goes, I'm sorry. And Ross says, you're doing it wrong. So he moves it in. He goes, I'm sorry. I don't know if you've ever been that person or know that person who has lived their entire life thinking that a word means something that it does not mean. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I remember sitting in a marketing meeting, and I, re I really wish I could remember the word. But I was in a marketing meeting years ago, and we're all around the table. There's probably eight of us, and we're talking about something. And this young lady who is actually a genius, she's actually just released uh, her second novel. It's awesome. But she's talking about one of the projects that we're trying to do. And she keeps using this word that she thinks means I love it, but it actually means I hate it. And she keeps talking about it and keeps saying, without realizing it, this is a terrible idea. And we get to the end, because she's smiling the whole time, like she's giving us good news. And I go, hey, do you know what that word means? She goes, well, yeah, that means it. I go, no, it does not mean that. You need to stop. 
It means, and she's just so embarrassed. I don't know, have anybody been that person, used the word forever? And I think so many times, listen, we grow up, whether it be in the church or not, and we hear this word sex, and we, we just have all these wrong ideas about the word. I mean, just weird things about the word. For some of us who grew up in church, we had a youth pastor, and I was a youth pastor for 10 years, so I might have said this. Hey, sex is sinful and dirty. Save it for the one you love. You know? Like, it doesn't even make sense. It's not good. Stop doing it. Wait till you have someone you want to commit your life to. Then do something with it. It's just like, sex is not a dirty word. Sex is great. Sorry, I didn't mean to look at Meredith at that time, but I just. <laughs> this is the one Sunday you should have missed. <laughs> should have got gray sick this Sunday. But listen, God created all of this, and then he says it's very good. Now, the word there is tov. It's just tov, T-O-V. And the word actually means to be enjoyed. It is very good. Not just like good and bad. Okay, hear me. Because how many of you have ever heard that and said, oh, it's right. It's not wrong. Or it's good. It's not bad. The point of the word is not simply to dif differentiate between right and wrong. The word is there to say it is to be enjoyed and to celebrate it and experience. In fact, the opposite of the word is not bad. The opposite of the word is ugly. It has to do with the aesthetic of it. It has to do with the fact that you, with your sight and with your smell and with your taste and with your feet, like there is something that you actually experience that you enjoy. So when God created everything, that's why when you go and look out on a mountain or you stand on the beach of the, uh, of the ocean, you go, wow, because you're experiencing it and you are enjoying it. And in that enjoyment, you get a sense of something greater. So it's very good. It's not a bad thing. It's not a dirty thing. It's not an ugly word. It's not something that is, uh, it should not be talked about. It's actually something that we should always talk about. Maybe not always. Maybe that's a, you know, it, maybe don't always talk about sex. But the idea that we can't talk about the thing that God created that is very good is the reason so many people use it to do things that are very bad. And what I mean by that is they are not enjoyed. I think we've, we've convinced the culture that, that somehow uh, it, it, sex is casual. What we don't understand is that what we're actually saying when we say sex is casual is that we're saying we are casual. And that we aren't worth the investment. And so there's a reason when we have casual hookups why we don't always feel as good as we feel like we should. Because we've actually made ourselves and the person we were with casual. So now we don't even look at people the same way. We, we, we completely change this. And, and, and what happens is we have this bent in our life as humans where we want to turn something good into a God. We want to turn a gift into a God. And so we've turned sex. How many of you would say this? Just, let's just go true or false on this one, all right? You can answer it. You can write it down. You don't have to say it. True or false? We have taken a gift to be enjoyed and turn it into a God to be worshipped. And that the difference is that we can that when you worship something, you have to sacrifice for it. You have to give something to it. You, you, you have to do certain, and that is what is called idolatry. You know, sex requires a lot of yourself. And it's meant to be that way. Sin 
does the same thing. Sin requires much of you without giving much back. Promises the world. And when we, when we turn something good, it is good. I, I want to make sure that you don't walk out of here with you thinking that I have some negative view of sex. I think it's fantastic. I think it's great. I think God gave it to us to be enjoyed. I mean, even, even the Song of Solomon, if you haven't read it, it's probably because you thought for some reason you weren't allowed. In fact, in Jewish tradition, you can't read it till you're 30. That's not a joke. It, 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 it's, it's what, but but, but hear, hear me out. Song of Solomon, we love to make that some kind of allegory for other things and some kind of like read into the meaning. No, it's about sex. And it's about enjoying it. It's about what it looks like when it's done right, done well, and done in the right timing. It's what it looks like when two people are completely committed to one another. And, 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 and now, maybe there is some between God and his church because God loves us. And one of the most frequently used illustrations of God's love for us is marriage. He does want intimacy with us. So yes, you can pull that out of Song of Solomon. But can it just be that God is showing us that in the book of Song of Solomon that sex was a gift to be enjoyed? And that in that you actually begin to see somewhat of what God created to be enjoyed. And for some of us, even us, when we hear that, we go, oh, you can't say that. Like, but all things that God created, he said, were very good. But when we turn what is good into a God, it loses its ability to simply be enjoyed and turns into something that we must worship instead of the gift being what we worship him with. We now have taken it and turned it into something to worship, so now we can't use it as worship. We have to do something else. So you find yourself in places where you mix things up. In fact, in Romans 1, let me just look at it. Romans 1, I believe it will be on the screen. In Romans 1, verse 1, uh, sorry, Romans 1, verse 24, Paul says this. Therefore, God delivered them over in the cravings of their hearts to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served something created instead of the creator who is praised forever amen so paul's first mention of idolatry is centered around sex i would say that we're kind of that way now i would say many of us it even begins to work into our body image and our own insecurities is because well am i presentable enough would someone want me do i want them we begin to walk through all these words, and, 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 and the phrasing there should catch your eye, that we would, we would rather uh, uh, worship something that is created than the creator. We would rather worship a gift than the gift giver. We, we would rather take that over the one who can provide more of it. It, it, it's, it's a crazy thing, but he begins to say this sexual impurity thing, and the word for sexual impurity uh, is pornea. Yeah, it should sound familiar. This idea of sexual impurity is, is really, honestly, anything outside of marriage. I know that's tough. Don't go too far with that. I'm just, I'm not telling you you can't kiss. I'm not telling, but anything that causes you to move in a direction away from worshiping God with what you're doing, anything that causes you to move from love to, another word, lust, which is primarily self-seeking, Anything else out of marriage, sexual impurity, pornea. And I don't have a lot of time to talk about this, but man, I just, I watch all the lies that are fed to a generation. I just read a New York Times article about what young people are learning from porn. 
and, and the things that they're, and, and, and phrases like this from young men in this article saying, well, I've never seen a porn actress unhappy. Right, it's crazy. But we just act like it's, it's just normal. In fact, I, I don't even have to go to the Bible or some Christian author to talk to you about the, the effects of pornography on people's lives. I can talk to you about the story of my life. I can talk to you about the story of men I've talked to in this room and outside this room that have dealt with it. I can talk to you about people like uh, this book called Empire of Illusion, which I read many years ago. It's not a Christian book. In fact, I do not recommend it for everyone because it does talk about graphic things. But the idea of this book, the first section, it's not just about sex or pornography, but the first section is about the illusion of love and how we've created a culture that believes pornography is a picture of healthy sex. It's so untrue that now there are porn actresses creating their own pornography companies to try to create a better version of it because even they know it is not actually what it looks like. What men and women have to do to survive in that industry is, is insane. And the average person survives 18 months. How I many know if it was actually real Healthy, life-giving, you wouldn't get out after 18 months. There is something about it that's a complete and total lie. And I know, why are we talking about pornography on a Sunday? It's supposed Because there are so many people dealing with this lie that somehow this is what sex looks like. This is what we should be doing together. And it's untrue. And it's destroying people. And I'm not talking about that as someone who's never dealt with it. There is something in our lives that, that creates us this thing that we have to begin to do what they do and, and learning lessons. Listen, and one of the things these young guys said in this article, and I don't want to just talk about pornography because for some of you go, well, I'm not dealing with pornography. Yeah, but that doesn't mean you're not dealing with sexual morality. Or... One of the things this young guy said was, uh, you, you know, this is the only, person, the only place I'm learning how to have sex. That's... That's dangerous. But it's not just that. It's, it's like the lie of, well, you know, you got you to gotta live together to really know if you want to be together. Did you know that's patently false? And again, I'm not saying this because I've read it in the Bible. I'm saying this because every study that you've ever read will tell you that is untrue. And I'm not saying this to condemn anybody. I'm trying to tell you to set you free. Go, listen, that is not true. In fact, if you took eight people who lived together before they got married, four of them would break up. Some of you go, well, that's good. Well, I'm sure they really think that too. Yeah, they're really glad that they broke up. The, the other four, the three of the other four that get married, three of them will get divorced. Those are the odds. How many of you have ever heard that? How many of you have ever been told, hey, that's a, it's a good idea to be, you know, let's, no. And again, I'm not here to try to make you, I'm trying to just go, this just isn't true. Uh, let's, throw out, let's just throw out another, another lie. Man, you know what? I have to have sex before I get married because I need to know if we're sexually compatible. Complete myth. It's a total myth. As though like, well, it, it's a complete myth. In fact, did you know study, again, after study after study, has proven that married sex is the best sex. Now, I'm not trying to be married going, well, we got to work on that. Yeah, okay. But I'm just telling you right now, 
I'll put, I'll put, I'm, <laughs> baby should have not come. <laughs> I will put my sex life as a 37-year-old married man for 12 years up against any 22-year-old that's sleeping around with anyone and everyone. Like, no doubt. I'm good, babe. But here's why. Let me just tell you why. Because whether we want to admit it or acknowledge it at all, we understand that when we aren't committed to one another, there is a lack of trust in our lives for one another. And so whether we want to admit it or not, we understand that back here there's a chance this person is going to bail on me. That this person might not even be here in the morning. How have we gotten to a place where we think that is good? I don't have to see you again? Come on. But part of that is because we've been told you should go. Hey, live, and I'll just tell you, the, again, on the opposite side of that same coin is that the person who sleeps around with as many people as often as they want actually have a less satisfying sex life than those who are married. And I'll just take it another, another level. Those who are married and spiritual, who have a faith basis for their life, have the best sex of everybody. Come on, yeah. I don't know if you guys are like, ah, can I? okay, I don't know if I should clap for that, <laughs> you know. All I'm telling you is you never see in a movie two people who've been married for 20 years having good sex and celebrating it. What you see is two 23-year-olds giving their bodies to each other and going, well, I hope I don't see you tomorrow. And somehow saying that sexual compatibility, is that, is that what that looks like? No. Let me just tell you something. When I got married, I had never had sex. There's a word for that. It's called a virgin. I know we don't say that. I had never had sex. My wife had never had sex. Can I tell you something? Love learns. The idea that I want to learn who you are and what is actually an evidence of the fact that I actually am interested in you and that I love you. And so my willingness to get married and have sex with a woman for the first time is actually a declaration I'm going to learn. And over the last 12 years, we have figured things out. And we're going to continue to figure things out. Why? Because it's based on trust. We are in this together. So there's this idea of sexual morality, and there's this thing that kind of says, and, and we, again, we love to take sin and condemn people. I think we need to take sin and get rid of all the lies and all the deceit and all the d distractions and say, this isn't true. Like, here's the truth. It will set you free. The, the truth is that God built it a certain way, and when people do that, it seems like science says it actually works better that way. Weird. But what God doesn't want is sexual morality. God wants sexual intimacy. In fact, the word in Genesis 2, if you want to go there and it'll be on the screen, it, it, it says in verse 24 of Genesis 2, again, zooming in on, um, on creation. Verse 23, and a man said, this one at last is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. Verse 24, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, the word one, the word there is ikad, and I'm probably not even saying it correctly. But the word E-C-H-A-D, the word there is to say it almost, you, you begin to lose sight of the distinctions between two people. That's what God is intending, that you would become so one. And, and let me just, I'm going to just ask, I feel like sex, that sounds like sex. I'm just going to throw that out there. That when you get so intimate and so together that you begin to lose sight of the differences between one another. 
And we'll talk a bit more about this in male and female. That's why, fellas, you got something that women don't have, and women, you got something that men don't have. And when those work together, it's amazing. He guys like, I can't talk about it. Yes, you can. You need to start. Because somebody else already is. This idea that we would become so intimate and so together and so, listen, what you do with your body, you do with your soul. That is the whole point of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and body. Why? Because what you do with one, you do with the other. And we've convinced ourselves that our body is separate from our spirit. We've actually convinced ourselves there's a difference between the secular and the sacred. And so we can do things in the secular that don't affect the sacred. And it's not true. What happens with our body happens with our spirit. That's why when things happen, and that's why even when they don't believe in Jesus, when people do things and line up everything, soul, mind, body, spirit, something begins to bring freedom and life and hope. Because when you line everything, life happens. But it's also why on the other side, when things begin to break down and the body is doing something that the spirit doesn't want to do or the mind doesn't want to do, all of a sudden you're disintegrating that unity and that union and all of a sudden you're frustrated and in pain because what you thought, this casual thing, is not actually as casual as you thought it would. And it's only after doing that so many times that you actually begin to deal with the place where you go, okay, I'm okay with this. Because you've worked yourself into it. And I'm, God wants sexual intimacy. And we use this word holy. You guys ever heard the word Holy. The Bible says, God says, be holy as I am holy. Paul says the same thing. And the word holy, we, we love to make it like righteousness. And, and, and there's a sense of that. But the idea of holy is set apart for something great. Set apart for a purpose. Uh, in other words, you don't say God is holy just because he's righteous. You say God is holy because there ain't nobody like him. And, 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 and everything we do with God, this holiness carried over. In fact, the opposite of the word holy is common or average or go with the flow. So, so holy actually means something better. So when God says, I want you to be holy in everything you do, even in sex, I want this to be, I actually, let me just throw this at you. I think God has a higher view of sex than we do. And I think our biggest issue is not, that, that, our biggest issue is that we don't have as high a view or as great a view as God does about sex. God actually thinks sex should be better than you think it can be. God is a God of enjoyment. He created it all very good so that we would enjoy it. Sex is an all-in kind of action. It is a, this idea that we would become so intimate that it would become so much better. And as we have gone on in our marriage, and as you, you, maybe you're progressing, or maybe you're in a place where you have to sort some of this out, that sex is not a standalone. But I'll tell you what, when, there is something about sex and something about our life together, not just sex, but all the things that kind of come with that, that in a marriage and in covenant and in relationship, that it's like a gravitational pull that somehow it resets. And here's why. There's two things sex is for. And it's two things that the Bible talks about. And it's the two things that we tend to pick one or the other. Reproduction and recreation. It is meant to recreate and reproduce. Now the church majors on the reproducing side, doesn't it? That's why if you get married within a week, if you come to church, someone's going to go, so when are you having kids? You're like, shut up. I'm just going to recreate for a while. Come on. You know what? The church should start asking, maybe not everybody, in good, healthy relationship, mentoring maybe is the best place to do it, but hey, you having good sex? Like maybe that's where we should start, right? There is this idea of reproduction, but then the, the, the world majors on the other side of it, and they go, let's recreate, and so they do everything that causes you to recreate without the responsibility of reproducing. 
right? That's, that's what porn, porn lets you have all the recreation you want without any responsibility to change or to be transformed. And then young men and women carry that into relationship. They carry this idea that I'm going to recreate without any responsibility for the results. But you only get to enjoy the results when you actually will take responsibility. If I rent a car, sorry, I only get that for a couple days, and I don't get to actually enjoy it. I have to be careful. Like, if I do something stupid in this, I'm going to get in trouble. But there's something different about when you own something. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, I can, I can try some. Okay, I'm going okay, to test this out. This will work. This idea that we recreate and we reproduce. And both have to be present for sex to be healthy. And, 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 and recreate means to refresh, to renew, to bring life. Think about the word itself, recreate. That's why when, when a married couple has sex, there's something about that. When it's done the right way, when it's done healthy, when it's done with the right view of what sex should look like, that, that all of a sudden it brings something different to the relationship. It, it, it's like it, it, it like resets and recreates life. It's not the only thing, but it does recreate life. It renews some things, refreshes some things. It's the same idea with reproduction. We are people who want to reproduce who we are. And God intended that for us. That's what sex was meant to be, those two things. But they have to be together. They have to be in the same place. And here's the only place, the only context that could carry uh, that kind of power, this reproduction, recreation power of sex. The only context that carries it well is marriage. And some of us are going to go, well, oh, here we go again. Don't have sex before you're married. No, no, no. Go get married so you can have great sex. If you want to have better sex, commit to something. Make covenant with something. In fact, sex was meant to be the final step in covenant. It was meant to be the signature on the contract. It was meant to say, this is official. Sex is powerful. There's life in it. That's why marriage is the context for it, when I will commit my life to you. And that's why, you know, you read this, 1 Corinthians 13. Let me just read 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7. Let's throw this on the screen. So this idea that we would, we would be, look, I just want you to think about love, and, and then I want you to think about this myth of sexual compatibility. I must be sexually compatible with you. And, then, and somehow sex is going to determine for us if we can actually love this person forever. But then I want you, let, but let's compare that with the word love, because if that's the case, if sex somehow allows you to love somebody, then shouldn't love fit into that definition or that logic somehow? Because here's the definition. Love is patient. I don't feel like our culture teaches us that sex is patient. L love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. Here we go. Here's a big one. It is not self-seeking. I want you to think about the word sex in our culture and the way we use it. Is it self-seeking? It is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. I just want you to catch this. Like, the logic that we so often buy into, that somehow sex is that a determining factor in how we love one another. Like sex is the first step. But somehow, love isn't characterized that way in the Bible. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not self-seeking. 
When you understand that sex is not meant just for your enjoyment. I mean, I, I, I just... I just continue to go back to this idea that God wants us to enjoy it. And in covenant relationship, we enjoy it at its highest level. That's what it's meant for. Love is patient. I, uh, like I said, you know, Meredith and I never had sex when we got married. And, and I, that first night, while it may have been awkward, was still a very good time. And, and, and what I think is that over the last 12 years, we've actually learn things about ourselves because we've been committed to one another. And I actually think love is shown in the willingness to learn things about one another. Learn When someone comes up to you and goes, so what is, uh, what is your wife? What kind of candy does she like? Right? Where's her favorite restaurant? What's her favorite color? Those are all things, signs that you've paid attention. They're all signs that you love them because you've been willing to learn them. Sex is the same thing. I actually think it's awesome. And some of us go, well, there's challenges in that. Maybe, I don't know, I might get married, and then this, this, and this, and this. Yeah, yeah. But that, again, is a sign of love, that I'd be willing to work through the awkwardness and work through the things that don't work to find out the things that do work. That is love. That's what love looks like. And sex is not a God to be worshipped, but it is a gift to be enjoyed. And sometimes to enjoy something, you have to be patient enough to work through the things you don't enjoy yet. To get to a place where you enjoy it. And I know it's hard to amen a message about sex. But can I just tell you, that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. Is he was so willing to love us and commit to us and give everything to us. In spite of all the challenges. In spite of all the mess. In spite of all the dirty. In spite of all of those things. So that he might know us and know us well. Now let me just, I'm going to just close with this. This is what, um, this is what God wants sex to look like. In the context of marriage, I use the word context on purpose uh, because in a story, context provides clarity. Without context, oftentimes you, you don't really know what characters are doing or why they're there. Marriage gives context. It brings clarity to what sex is. It brings clarity to the enjoyment of sex because it brings context. And clarity brings strength. Clarity brings purpose. Clarity brings health and a vision. I'm going to end it with this, Genesis chapter 2. And again, this is a big topic. It's hard to talk about everything. and I'm not even sure that I've hit everything I want to hit. But Genesis 2 verse 24 says, This is why a man leaves his father and his mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Listen to this. Both man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. I, I think this is a picture of almost everything in the body of Christ. I think this is a picture of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that we would be completely transparent and yet feel no condemnation and no shame. Uh, that's what Jesus does on the cross with our overall life, is he takes us and goes, hey, no matter what you got, you can be honest with me. I'm never leaving you. I'm never forsaking you. I'm never walking away from you. And in the light of it all, you can feel no shame because I paid the price for you. And you are made righteous. And you are made whole. And you are brought healing. Now the sexes should be the same way. When we treat it like the gift it should be, rather than the God it should not be, then we can actually do life well and be naked and unashamed. But how many of us know we carry things into relationships, guilt, shame, past experiences? That's not what God desired. That's not what his hope was. That's not what he wants for us. 
He wants for us to be able to walk in fully honest, fully transparent, and yet unashamed, not condemned, but full of hope and life for what this relationship can look like. Don't believe the lies because they're, they're just that. Believe the truth that God gave us a gift to be enjoyed. God gave, gave us a gift to love and to have fun and to enjoy it and to reproduce and to recreate and to bring life and hope into our marriage. I don't know where you're at. Some of you may be feeling like, oh, I, can't, that's, sounds, I can't do that anymore. I can't. Jesus came so you could live your life fully honest, fully transparent, and yet unashamed. And I, whether we want to act like it or not, sex is one of those places in our sexual identity that we've allowed to tell us who we are rather than us tell sex what it should be. And our culture tries to shame us into particular things. I mean, the fact that I can't be proud as a 37-year-old man that when I got married, I was a virgin, like, that's crazy to me. Because what I did is I said no to all the other freedoms and all the other options and all the other choices for one person. And I think that's beautiful. And it's why everybody cries at a wedding. Because you're saying no to every other option. You're saying no to every other thing. And you're looking at one person and saying, that's for me. And I'm for them. There's nothing about that that's ugly, gross, or bad. And there's nothing about that that says it's not going to be good from here on out. No, if, if, if anything, it actually says this will get better as you go. Why don't you bow your heads? We're going to pray. God, I don't know where everyone is in this room. I don't know what they're dealing with, what they're walking through. And I know on a day like this, we're talking about sex, it's weird to even talk about, let's pray about some things. But I actually think for many of us, some of the biggest things we carry around are the things that we feel shame about. And for many of those shamed things, for many of those places, they're, they're places that involve our sex and sexuality, our desire for something. Somehow we feel like if we desire sex that it's wrong. No. God, you put it in our hearts and lives. It's, it's something that's meant to represent creation. It's meant to represent the enjoyment that is very good. It's meant to represent the coming together of people. God, and I pray that in this moment right now, we would get rid of the shame and all the stuff we bring into relationships with this word sex. God, and all the lies and all the stuff that just flat out is not true. God, I pray that, yeah, we've had fun with this conversation, but more than anything, I pray that there's been freedom in this conversation. That in the midst of everything we've been told and even the things that we've convinced ourselves of, we would know that sex was created by you. And for some of us, we've carried in some shame. And for some of us, even hearing what it's for, are frustrated with what we've done with it. God, you're bigger than that. God, you make... All things new. And God, as we surrender our lives, our bodies, as we surrender our past and our present and our future, God, you make all things new. So I pray more than anything today, you'd bring healing. You'd bring hope. You'd bring life into a topic, into a part of our lives that for so many has been misrepresented Because of the sensitive nature of this, I'm not going to have you raise your hand or if you've got some things that are going on in your life. Maybe you've, actually your view of sex is twisted because of some experiences you've had or some things people have done to you. Abuse, 
you've carried around a hurt and pain, I just want to tell you that wasn't God's intention. That was not God's desire. And he wants to heal your heart, heal your expectations, and restore the relationship you are in or will be in in the future. God, I pray that all of us, every one of us, would be naked and unashamed, that we would not hide things, that we would not be afraid of things, but in fact, we would bring things into the light and we would find freedom and hope and future and purpose. So that's you. Without making you raise your hand or stand up, I just, I think freedom's at your doorstep right now. Maybe it ties into what we said this, earlier this morning, that there's a new posture in your life towards the gift God's given you. That it is not a God you must serve. It is not a God you must uh, compromise your integrity on. It is not a God that you must serve up your purity for. It is, it is not a God that you have to do anything for. It is a gift to be enjoyed in the context that God's given it, that it might bring clarity and hope and future to your relationship. And whatever you've dealt with, whether it's something done to you or something you've given your life to, God wants to bring restoration, to recreate, to bring renewal, and to reproduce in your life hope and future. Because of Jesus' grace towards us. I want to pray over you. Without you having to raise your hand, if you want to find Meredith or I, one of our team later, I would love for you to do that. But God, I pray over every person right now who goes, yeah, that's me. I've, I've got some stuff that I've been carrying around. Whether it be a wrong thought process, uh, whether it be a, a, a moment that happened in my life, God, I pray now. I, just, I pray that they would surrender that to you. That they would give that to you. Not carry that into the next thing. But God, your grace, your grace is sufficient. Your grace is more than enough. That there is nothing that can shut down the grace that you offer that can cover their life the way your grace can. Your love for them is far greater than anything they've ever done or experienced. God, I pray for forgiveness. I pray for hope. I pray for peace. I pray for restoration. I pray that in their hearts they see things in a new way. God, I pray for addictions to be broken. God, I pray for hearts to be full. God, I pray for a new higher view of what sex and sexual intimacy look like. And I pray that we understand it is a great gift. I pray we steward it well in Jesus' name. Today, if you bring anything into this place and you go, you know what, I just, I want to give my heart and life to him. It just, man, he made things to enjoy, made things good, made things right, and I want to give and surrender my heart. I just, I, I, I came here today not knowing that what I needed to do most was give my life back to Jesus or give my life to Jesus for the first time. But that's you this morning. You got boldness in your heart. There's something pulling at you right now. You're going, yeah, 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 that's me. You just want to pray. It's not even about sex. It's about just Jesus. He gave everything so that I can joy and live this life with purpose and hope. And you go, that's me today. Through the worship, through the word, through everything that's happened today, I just know my life is for him and I want to give it to him. If that's you today, would you just right now, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray with you, whether it's for the first time in a long time or maybe the first time ever. You go, that's me. I just want to pray with you. Anybody in here? Awesome. Hey, would you stand with me? We're going to pray. We're going to worship and we're going to close. Hopefully that encouraged you this morning. Hopefully it made you go, I, I got to be there for Nancy Houston. Because now I got some questions. Because good preaching should not answer every question. It should actually cause you to ask some more. So I hope this caused you to go out and go, all right, 
I got to think, I got to figure some things out. Hopefully this is encouraging to you. I love you. You guys are amazing. Let's worship together as we close out this morning.